Welcome to another edition of the Untold Patriot Stories podcast with Scott Prusak and Dave Usher, where you'll hear stories told by the players and media members. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Untold Patriot Stories, the podcast. I'm Scott Prusak with Bob Hilberg, and uh, we have a great guest on tonight, Christopher Price, the award-winning writer and author, uh, currently writing for the Boston Globe, but he's also written some books that if any Patriots fan wants to gain some more insight, uh, The Blueprint, Drive for Five, and The Complete Illustrated History of the New England Patriots. So you, you got a couple of books out there, right? Just a few. Yeah, yeah. Just just a couple. All right. So, uh, Bob, I'm going to hand it off to you, and uh, we'll get this thing going. So as a lover of the Patriots history, I really appreciate the books and the insight that you bring to people. Uh, you know, I just wanted to start a little bit with the blueprint. I mean, you you talk about, you know, being a fan. Uh, I've been a fan since 1967, and, you know, the Mike Holovac and the Cleve Rush and the Chuck Fairbanks years and uh, you know, bringing some of that back with both both of the books. But, you know, what, what was your feeling like when, you know, they won that first Super Bowl in 2001? I mean, you know, we came from nothing. And and what are the chances that we're ever going to go back to another Super Bowl, you think, in the next five years? Well, I, I'll start off by telling you that the first game that I covered for the old Boston Metro commuter newspaper, that's when I started covering the Patriots on a regular basis, was in September of 2001, the, the day that Mo Lewis knocked Drew Bledsoe sideways. So I, I just happened to be in the right station when the right train came through. Man, that, that that's really all it was. No. Um, that year was was absolutely like something out of a fairy tale. It, it really was to be able to see that team come together and grow and continue to win and win and win and win. I, I remember being in the Superdome that night as Adam Vinatieri is lining up to kick what would be the game-winning field goal and turning to my good friend Mike Parenti, who was covering the team for the Woonsocket call and saying, the Patriots are going to win the bleeping Super Bowl. <laughs> and like, you know, and that's the first time I really verbalized what was going to happen. And it was strange and surreal. And look, I grew up in New England. I wasn't necessarily a huge Patriots fan, but I grew up in New England and I knew the history and I knew that, you know, this team had had some struggles. And to be there... When they won it all, I always tell people it was like being present for the moon landing because it was just so unbelievable, given the magnitude, given the the, the gravity of the situation, was was absolutely remarkable. And so they, they won a few more, and you know, and then I reached out or my uh, I connected with a literary agent, and he said, "Hey, you know, there's a book here." So we moved forward with a book, and you know, fast forward twenty plus years and. Six books later, here here we are. Um, as as for five years down the road, I, I don't know. I, I think this franchise really is at a crossroads right now, particularly this year when you look at Mac Jones. Because when you're in your third year, this is who you should be. Anthony Pleasant once told me, when you're in your third year, you're a fully formed NFL individual. You're going to be who you're going to be. You're going to be a star, complimentary player, good player, whatever. And so, I think this year will in large in large ways shape Mac's legacy. You know, I, I think he's capable. I think he's a capable quarterback. I think he's capable of taking this team to the postseason, given everything that's around him on both sides of the ball. Right. Um, but it's going to be a different matter to see if they, you know, if they can win it all in another five years. We'll see. 
So, you know, you've been at training camp, you've seen a lot. So now we're two games into the preseason. Do you see them? Is it too early to say that? Can you see an identity forming on defense and on offense? And overall, you know, what are your thoughts on the offense? Do you think? Because, I mean, they definitely look better on on um, Saturday night. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So so what are your thoughts on that? I, I am cautiously taking the modest overs with this offense. Look, <laughs> okay. they're, they're not going to make anybody forget about the 1998 Vikings or the 2007, you know, Patriots. But, I, you know, the, the bar for success coming off last year is so low as long as guys aren't running into each other. And, you know, it's it's going to be okay. And, and I really believe this is going to be a team that's going to be able to run the ball. Uh, they're going to be able to, not going to open things up, but they're going to be able to move the ball, you know, through the air. The strength of this passing game is going to be in short, intermediate stuff. Juju over the middle, uh, you know, Gesicki, uh, Hunter Henry. It, it's going to be a very deliberate offense. Not to say they're not going to take shots downfield, but again, I think the strength is going to be in the short stuff. The question for me right now on offense is the offensive line. Right. Uh, I think on the left side, they're going to be okay. It's my understanding that, that Cole Strange is going to be back sooner rather than later, at least for week one. Yep. You're going to get Trent Brown, and I think Trent Brown is in relatively okay playing condition right now. I'll share a Trent Brown story with you here in a second. And, and you like David Andrews. So the question is, you know, when you, when's he coming back? We haven't seen him since last January in pads, so I don't think – I'm not overly optimistic there. And then who's going to play right tackle? Or do you kick a when you out to right tackle and you use one of these kids to play right guard uh, or Riley Reef? Um, yeah. The reason I say that about Trent Brown is that usually you can gauge where he is mentally, physically, emotionally by how much he talks. And out in Green Bay, he talked to Blue Streak. He was pretty expansive yeah. with it. So – I think there's every reason to be optimistic about him come week one. So the question I have on the offensive side of the ball really is the line. If they get the line figured out, this is a team that should be able to score 21 points a game. And without defense, more often than that, that should be enough. Uh, I think the defense can be really good, but the problem with the defense right now, it's really thin. They're really good across the board. The top 12, 13, 14 players are really extraordinary. But if they have a breakdown somewhere along the way, it's a house of cards situation where right. you know you pull, let's say Matthew Judon out of the mix or Christian Barmore out of the mix or you know Jonathan Jones out of the mix for an extended period of time, they're going to struggle. And we saw that in Green Bay when the starters rotated out, the young cornerbacks really had problems. And so I think it's a good defense, but I'd like to see a little bit more depth there between now and the start of the season. Maybe have one of these young guys emerge. Keon yeah. White, I think, is a great addition. Um, if you can get Christian Gonzalez, if you're feeling really good about where he is, he could be a number one corner. That's great. Marte Mapu. You just need another piece or two to kind of paper over some of those depth deficiencies, as it were. To follow up on that offensive line, are you getting concerned that it's, I mean, we're, we're going into the last preseason game and they all haven't played together because you, you would yeah. you would hope by now they would have played together and did the joint practices and spent all that time in training camp now. So now, now, even if they all come back, you know, let's say, you know, in another week or so, now you're still going to get that continuity. So do you, are you, are you a little bit fearful of it's this late in the preseason and they haven't all played together? Yeah. And David Andrews has told me now twice, he's reminded me that, look, you can have offensive lines with four mediocre guys as long as five, one really good guy, as long as they're working well together. Right. And I think we're starting to see some signs of that in practice, but 
you know, I, I think if they could run those, if they could run those four out there, plus whoever you want to put at right guard and right tackle, I think they're going to be in good shape. And to your point, Scott, consistency and continuity is a huge part of any successful offensive line. So you need to have those bodies work together, step together, you know, sit together in the cafeteria, right. just, you know, work completely work together as a team. We know this too, Bob, you can speak to this, that we've seen offensive lines around here that they're four very average, mediocre, run-of-the-mill guys, but they're all working in tandem. You know, they're all working in sync. They're all part of a, you know, a larger group. And so, I, I think you just need to get them all working together. I, I do. And the thing, of, there, there are two things. I think when you, in my opinion, I don't think he's going to be ready for week one because Bill has said this a number of times. Look, you just can't run around the track a couple of times and be ready to play right. football. You need to hit and get right. hit. You need to get calloused up a little bit. Then the other thing too, Calvin Anderson being on NFI since the start of camp with an illness, he was designated with an illness. I'm not doubting whether, you know, I'm not doubting his level of toughness, but that, sparks questions sure. you know we know it's not a knee we know it's not a leg or an arm or you know god forbid a concussion or something like that right right it's an illness so i i just i have i have some questions about that and i'll, and I'll say this i'll finish up with this specifically the offensive line anderson's age anderson's camp is very quiet with information and they're very locked down and so it's tough to get anything out of them that kind of adds to the intrigue around the yeah. I'm not saying he would fix all the woes along the offensive line, but the fact that he's been NFI with an illness for a month, right. Just kind of sparks some questions. So if you get guys that can't block and uh, our guys in the backfield, are they elusive enough that they're going to be able to run the ball? Yeah. I, I, I think that they can run it, you know, a, a little bit. Uh, obviously when you look at both of those guys in, in Zeke and Ramondre, their yards after contact are pretty good. And so I, I just don't want to put too much on their shoulders. The other thing too, Bob, is that, and, and I saw this really for the, not for the first time, but really, uh, you know, it, it was really kind of brought into stark relief on Saturday. Max pocket presence, his, his yeah. pocket awareness, his pocket understanding is better this year than it was last year. And we know this from watching Brady all those years. Sometimes he was his own best offensive lineman being able to keep a play alive. I'm not saying that Mac Jones is, you know, going to break, contain, and run for 40 yards. Right. right. <laughs> the ability to know when things are collapsing. Step and escape, up. Yeah, and step up and make the throws and kind of read the – I think he's much better at it than he was a couple of years ago. And I think that's an important trait to have when you're dealing with a an offensive line that's a little iffy. So okay, – okay, oh, okay, I just Bob. wanted to follow up on the offense a little bit. So the, the two tight ends and then Juju, uh, you know – those are going to be uh, key areas to stay healthy, too, because there's no depth there either. Yeah, it, it really will be. I, I think the two tight ends are going to be great. I, I will say this. What was interesting to me when Gesicki was out, he came back to practice today. on Tuesday, This is Tuesday the 22nd. Yeah, Gesicki came back to practice today and looked pretty good. But I think they're going to be okay if they abandon the two tight end set for a while because Kendrick Bourne has had an absolutely dynamite summer, yeah. in my opinion. And so – I think he's going to be the guy who's going to kind of, you know, break out a little bit or has the potential to break out a little bit if Gesicki does get a little bit banged up and they go to three wides with Juju and um, uh, Devontae Parker. So, yeah, it, it, it is. It's, it's going to be interesting to see. But, yeah, again, you know, you, you, you're you're going to look for help when it comes to protection. You're going to look for a little added help when it comes to protection, whether it's an extra tight end, whether it's, a you know, they, they don't have a fullback anymore, but, but one of those guys, Ramondre, Zeke can uh, wiggle free a little bit. So 
now a lot of people are getting a little a little giddy, and you know how people tend to get a, get ahead of things. And they're they're kind of saying that we could have a you know a find in Pop Douglas and Butte, um, and this you know they're saying Zeke Elliott. So now now the talk of you know we're going to have a really good offense, and you know things are going to work out. And I, I, like what's your what's your feeling towards that? I mean, because by by what it looks like, I'm Pop Douglas is showing talent. And if so, if Pop Douglas does make it, and then you got Boutte, really, who's going to be the odd man out? Because right now, it's looking like Dorton because he's yeah, right. Yeah, I, and I think that there's a very real possibility that Taekwondo Thornton goes on IR for the year. Um, Foxborough I, I, flu. Yeah, he, well, I will say this: in Green <laughs> Bay, in Green Bay, he did come down hard on a shoulder, and he wasn't able to finish a practice. And this was the Thursday practice, and he didn't play in the game on Saturday. Now I reached out to a a source close to Thornton who said that, look, it's just a day-to-day week-to-week thing. It's not long-term, but I wouldn't be surprised if there was a little, little case of Foxborough flu there, if he he (laughs) going on the IR. Um, And I think it would benefit him, you know, quite, quite frankly, you know, he, he could, I think he could play with another 10 pounds on him. I don't know if it would, you know, hinder his overall speed, but I think that he needs a little bit more heft to him. Uh, if he's going to be able to survive uh, another NFL year. But, yeah, the Pop Douglas, I'll, I'll tell you all you need to know about Pop Douglas. He was up today, uh, again, this Tuesday. There were 11 and 11s going on in the field. He was up on the other field pretty much all afternoon working as a punt returner, kick returner uh, with a, a variety of coaches. So I think they've seen enough of him to know that he can play and play yeah. on a consistent basis. I'm not saying he's going to have, you know, 60 catches this year. But I think they'll want to see what he can do, what he can really do from a special teams perspective. Now, do you think Thornton would have caught that deep ball that Jones threw that um, Pocket didn't get? Yeah. And you know what, too? This the one thing I thought about today, Scott, because <laughs> it, it happened. Well, it happened. And, and I don't know if it's just my own optics, if there's a, a you know a measuring stick for this or whatever. But Mac has overthrown Devontae a few times this summer. And I, I don't know if it's a miscommunication between the two or Mac misjudging Parker's speed or, you know, Parker not running through the ball, whatever the case may be. There's all sorts of different reasons as to why this could happen. Uh, But, yeah, you know, I think Thornton would have caught it. I I think Thornton has the best – Thornton and and Pop Douglas have the best – amongst the receivers have the best speed, the best straight-line speed. And so I I tend to think that one of those guys would have caught So going back a little bit, the, the history, I mean, the Jets haven't won anything since uh, Namath and the, the Bills haven't won anything since the 60s and the Dolphins. And now it seems like all three of those teams are projected to be better. I mean, you think any of those teams have a chance to to knock off Kansas City and, and, and win this thing? I think Buffalo does. I do. I, I think Buffalo is because I think part of it kind of goes back to the you know, kind of getting calloused up. I think to win it, you have to get there first and, and understand as a group what you went through to be able to reach the next level. I always compare it to the old, you know, the old NBA teams where you know the self. It, it's like the Pistons would get you know, and then right. Celtics. Finals, you, no. you you need to learn the lessons from losing before you can go ahead and win the whole thing. And I think Buffalo's deep playoff runs the last couple of years have really prepared them well. I, I like a lot of what Buffalo's done. I do. And I know it's easy to sit here and say this, but I, I do. I think they're ready. I don't know if I'd go out on a limb and say that they're they're going to win it all. But I think Buffalo is ready to take that next step as a team. I, I think they're the best team in the AFC East. I'll say that. Um, 
And I think they're well positioned to be able to knock off the Chiefs. So there's a lot of pressure on them, though. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It, it is how you deal with it as a young team. And I think that the lesson that they've learned over the, the, the playoff losses of the previous couple of seasons, I think, has given them an, an ability to be able to climb over that hump. But, yeah, I, I agree, Bob. There's a lot. When you're the favorite, life is a lot different. When the, when the target is on your back, yeah. life is a lot different than if you're the one you know doing the chasing. Did you were around for the 2002 season after the Patriots won, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And and that was that was a that was a really odd season when in in 2002 with that team because they were great at the start. Right. And then they were miserable in the middle and then they were pretty good down the stretch, but they just didn't have enough, you know, to kind of turn it on toward the end. Um and yeah, and they learned the lessons from that year. And they, you know, they learned to move forward. They went back to back in 03 and 04, the last team to go back to back. So again, the lessons that they learned in 02, I think, you know, paid off for them going forward. There you go. How, how did you, did you feel better about, you talked about, you know, Mac Jones stepping up and I, and I thought he played a pretty good game on Saturday night. I, the strip yeah. sack, you really can't fault him because, um, you know, the guy came from the blind side. He didn't even see it coming. And, I think it speaks volumes of the offensive line when after that happened, that was the that was the last snap he took. That was it. So yeah. I think they realized that they didn't want to put him in harm's way. But it's funny you say that because I do think I see you could you can see it the way he was playing Saturday, whether it's confidence after going through what he went went through last year, feeling more comfortable having Bill O'Brien. Uh, but he seemed to he stepped in. There was a couple of, of other examples too. I know. You know, another time he stepped up and he kind of eluded some pressure. Um, you know, he made some good throws that, you know, like I said, they they obviously didn't catch. But, I mean, I came away from that game feeling a little bit better about where he is this time this year to where he was this time last year. Right? Oh, yeah. 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 And it was funny. Adrian Phillips talked about it today in camp that he's just he's way better. He said was the quote this year than he was last year. Confidence is through the roof. He's going out. He's trying to light up the defense every day. And look, we we can stop kind of, you know, and it's funny. They're having we're having very polite conversations down in Foxborough. I think we kind of alluded to this before. We've alluded to this before, Scott. That, you know, everyone on offense, oh, it's great this year. Bill O'Brien is here. We're doing this and we're doing this. And, you know, things are kind of more free and easy. They're just happy to have Bill O'Brien there as opposed to the previous regime. Right. No, it it is just I'm and I'm not trying to crush the guy who ran the offense last year, but everyone's happier and you can right. see the results on the field. You can see things, you know, they're, they're playing with more confidence. They're playing a little bit more free and easy. There are guys like Kendrick Bourne who are just look, you know, completely new you right. know, within the framework of this offense. And so again, the bar was set so low last year right. for offensive success. I think they're going to surpass it. And anyone who thinks that, you know, Bill O'Brien wasn't the most off-season, wasn't the most impactful off-season addition for this team, hasn't been paying attention. Well, it's funny you say that because I know it's been said. I mean, a lot of, if you remember last year, a lot of the talk was that the reason why Bourne wasn't playing is he was in Belichick's doghouse. And then it kind of came out a little bit later that it, that Belichick really had nothing to do with it. Yeah. And it was Matt Patricia that, that had the issue with Bourne. Yeah. So that's when yeah, you say I, he's I, stepping I think, up. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's, he's poised to have a really good year. I'm not yeah. saying he's going to catch like 90 balls, but I, I think one of the things we're going to be able to sit here and say, 
in November, we're going to say, yeah, you know, one of the biggest problems about last year's team was they couldn't find a way to use Kendrick Bourne. Right. He's really, he's really good. He is, you know, Mac loves him. He, again, he's caught just about everything thrown his way this summer. He's just, he's had a really good summer. Whether that translates to the regular season, we'll see. But he certainly set a nice foundation for himself when it comes to the regular season. Yeah, that, that high point catch that he had Saturday night, that was a pretty tough catch. So Yeah, yeah. Love to see that kind of thing. Love to yep. see it. Love to see guys. And we, we've seen it from uh, Gesicki and, and uh, Parker at times. And just to be able to go up and get that and to be able to make a play for your quarterback. You know, in, in a big moment like that, the born catch came on third long. And to be able yeah. to move the chains and make a play like that, even in the preseason, it's a really good sign. So who's the ball hawk on defense? Who's the guy that's going to lead the team in interceptions this year? It's going to be Duggar. Doug, Duggar is poised for a really good year if he stays healthy. And, and I think that uh, I think you know, everyone here wants to everyone around here wants him to have a good year. But it's good. It's going to, you know, every take away every big tackle, every, you know, every incident, every, every, every leadership, you know, incident is going to kind of, you know, continue to price him out of the market. I think a little bit, I, I think he's going to have a great year. I do. I think he's going to have an absolute great year. I think he's going to come away with more takeaways. I think they're going to rely on him more than ever when it comes to serving as a leader in the post McCordy era. So right. I, I just think everything is kind of pointing in that direction where, where he's going to have a really big year. He's going to be the ball hawk on, on defense. I mean, last year the defense scored a bunch of touchdowns. Do you do you see them score? And what did they score? Eight or nine touchdowns last yeah. year. Yeah, um, yeah. It, you're you're going to see the same thing. You're going to see you're going to see that. But I mean, part of you can't predict takeaways, right? But Duggar is the kind of player that always seems to be around the ball, and that's not coincidental. You know, the the ability to pick up on stuff like that, to be able to, to be able to you know know where a play is flowing, and to be able to make you know kind of make adjustments and understanding what's going on there. He's one of those guys. I also think it's too that I'm a little bit concerned about the cornerback depth. And with him, you get a little bit of a layer of protection, a little bit more security when it comes to that secondary. You know, and really all those safeties. When you when you look at you know Peppers and Duggar and Phillips, they're all good covered safeties. So maybe you have a little bit, you you feel okay about where you are at cornerback um with those guys on the field. So we'll see. But yeah, I think Duggar's gonna be the guy. So Belichick's, you know, Belichick's taken a taken a beating over the last couple of years. But just we were going to talk about the game on Saturday. But the the thing I wanted to bring up about the game on Saturday was uh, Matt Slater said after the game he's never respected Bill Belichick more for for calling that game. And and it's funny because if I was watching the post game show and they asked him about it, he goes, "Well, it really had nothing to do with me. It was an NFL. It was an NFL issue." And then you have Slater come up. You know, and say he's never respected him more as to when he called the game. And when you watch it, Belichick was actually the one that sought out the coach for Green Bay and then then the head ref. And, you know, one of the things that's been said is he's losing touch with the younger players. So do you think, I, I mean, I guess I kind of felt reassured by that on Saturday night that he, st- he still does have his finger on the pulse of the team and the younger players and, you know, doing something like that. Now, granted, it was... You know, they had two joint practices. It was a preseason game. If it was a regular season game, it probably wouldn't have got called. I think we could all feel, you know, say confidently. I mean, it wasn't the situation that we had last year in Cincinnati. Um, but do you did that? Did that make you reassured that Belichick still has that that touch or that 
you know, finesse to handle a situation like that and get the buy-in from the players. Yeah, I do. I do. And I think part of that goes back to Slater. I, I don't think it was a coincidence that, look, you saw two coaches on the field in Matthew Slater. That I, I think that he's kind of learned how to use Slater as a bit of a sounding board in that regard. The other thing, Scott, and we should be talking about this more when you talk about Bill Belichick, the coach right now. I don't think it's a coincidence that he has more ex-players on his coaching staff now than ever before. Right. You know, talking about him and being able to connect with some of these young guys. It used to be that Pepper Johnson was the only ex-player on yep. his coaching staff. Right. Yep. And now he has four guys. He brought in Adrian Clem this offseason. He's continued to empower Gerard Mayo. You know, Troy Brown is there. It, you know, it's just, it's up and down. And I think that helps. I think it helps to have a guy coaching you who was coached by Bill. Right. Well, you can turn to if you're, you know, if you're a coach, assistant coach or a player, what you know, and you could have those conversations about understanding the expectations that come from Bill. And I think that really should be we should be talking about that more. I've tried to write about it as much as possible, but I think there's something to the idea that Bill is continuing to stay connected to some of these guys through some of his assistant coaches who played for him. And I think that's a really important distinction here when you talk about how Bill Belichick has evolved as a coach. So have you have you learned some lessons from Belichick that you apply in your uh, own life uh, about with with your family and any other sports, the coaching and things that you do? The the house, the household motto, my wife has the shirt, do your job. You know, <laughs> that's what that's what it is in this house. We all have our chores. We all have our you know, we all have our jobs to, we have to do to keep the house moving forward. You know, I do most of the grocery shopping and I go to the dump and, you know, <laughs> but, but, but what son takes out the son takes out the, the garbage, you know, the, the whole thing, the whole thing all working together. It's going, you know, we're going to find a level of success and it's kind of tongue in cheek. But at the same time, look, my wife and I have been married for 20 plus years. I started covering the team in 2001. We got married in April of 2002. So you could really measure our lives as a couple through the Patriots and through Super Bowl wins and Super Bowl losses. And it's just it's 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 really it is. We've applied a lot of the lessons that we have learned that I have learned following Patriots for 20 plus years. But, yeah, that's first and foremost at the top of the list. Yeah, one of the things that I've learned is uh, we're on to Cincinnati, you know. Exactly. You know, exactly. anything that happens, okay, that's the past. We're moving forward. We're looking forward. And and having something to look forward to, that has worked so well in, in relationships at work and in leadership and with my family as well. It's like, yep. okay, it happened. You know, we put the effort in. It didn't work. And uh, let's get back to, you know. Exactly. The, the other thing, Bob, is that I, I've learned over the years, look, as a sports writer, you have to marry up. You have to marry someone who's you know, got more of the ball. And so I, I've learned over the years, my wife is often, let's just, my wife will say, you know, when it comes to money or, you know, a big household decision or whatever, we may be at odds. She's like, well, let's just try it my way. You know, and it, and it reminds me of a Belichick thing where it's just like, okay, just, just trust me. Just, we're going to do this. It's going to work. You know, and I've run the numbers, you know, it's more often than not in our case, it's going to work. It's going to be okay. And so a level of trust that you have to have in, management let's just put it that way uh that, that's another lesson that, that that we've learned around here over the last 20 or so years i love it trust yep i got you back yeah so uh, ta- we, t- we, t- we touched upon patricia for a little bit so there's a couple a couple little nuggets that have that have come out so you heard the press conference about um it's not rocket science when i when i'm breaking atoms do, do you that that this is my first one do you think that that was 
the second part was a show because the first one everybody says that comment, right? I mean, you know, it's yeah. about rocket science. Yeah. But to yeah. throw in the we're not splitting atoms, do you do you think that was a subtle shot to Patricia? I don't think so. I, I think it's <laughs> fun. Although, look, honestly, Scott, you're talking to the guy who sat through the West Walker foot press conference. I was <laughs> okay. in the front row. The front row. I was but that was kind of obvious. Though. I mean, you could yeah, tell where but, he was going. In that moment, in that moment, I didn't pick up on it until going yeah. back and seeing it later. So look, from my perspective, I don't think it was a purposeful shot at Patricia, but my track record here is not so great. I'll just say that. All right. So the second Patricia question, and a lot of people I know I've heard it talked about, but some people don't realize that the first game of the year is going to be against Philadelphia. Now, we all know that the, the schedule coming out of the gate is a tough schedule. How ugly do you think it'll be in New England if Patricia comes out with a defense that totally stuns uh, Mac and we and we get our, our butts handed to us? How, well, <laughs> what kind of what kind of uh, what kind of article are you going to be writing on Monday? And what do you think the state of the sports media in Boston will be if Patricia comes in and you know just? comes up with a game plan and, and, and trounces Mac. It'll be, it'll be a frenzy. It will. It'll be a frenzy. <laughs> and, it, and it should, because it's a, look, it's a great storyline. No, it is. It's a fantastic storyline. It sets up perfectly as a Matt Patricia revenge game. And you know, <laughs> if, if they come into Foxborough and they win, let's say like 45 to seven, all you're going to be able to do is just tip your hat to him because you know, he, even he's not the only guy who's put it together, but look, after a year of eating crap, the guy deserves like one little, you know, honestly, for 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 all of the all of it, all the stuff that he had to eat for the year. So it, it, it should be, it should be a frenzy. It should be because again, it's a great storyline. Now, conversely, if Mac throws five touchdowns and you know they they shut him out, Ramondre runs for 150 yards and you know, all that, it's gonna be you know, a frenzy the other way, you yeah. know, how, you know, we got it. We got our guy. So it does, it sets up perfectly. It does. It's one of those perfect lines. It, 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 it has the potential to overshadow the return of Tom Brady, you know, right. if we can, you know, we can, we, we dare to dream. So it's going to be a fun week one, put it that way. And uh, <laughs> I can just see Mac Jones would be the type to kind of, I, I, I'm just my prediction would be if if the better outcome of the two, which Mac Jones hands it to Patricia, I think at some point during the game or in the press conference, I, I think you're going to see Mac Jones stick it to Patricia. Is, you, you agree with that one? I I don't know if he's going to come out with a WPI sweatshirt, but <laughs> you know, something. I, yeah, I, look, and it goes back to what we were saying before. Guys are being really polite about it. Guys are being really like. Hey, there's a new vibe this year. You know, there's a really a you know, great feeling around the offense. And, you know, you don't really need to look around too much to understand what they're saying. So everyone's yeah. kind of very pleasant, very polite. But, you know, I wonder what it's going to be after week one. Well, we got some great quarterbacks who will play in this year, too. Um, yeah. We, we yeah. got some, a really tough schedule. And some of the last year, we had some, you know, quarterbacks you never heard of. And we beat up on some of them, but uh, this year we're, they're loaded. So, I mean, yeah, defense has really got to step up. Yeah, Bob. And, and the thing is that you know, we talked about the defense. I want to see the defense win a game for them against a great quarterback. Yeah. Whether that's Josh Allen or, you know, Jalen Hurt, whatever the case may be, I want to see the defense carry them in a game against an elite offense before I buy in completely. I think the defense is really good. 
I think the defense has a chance to be great. But I think one of the things that they have to do is be able to show a consistent level of success. I think a lot of it last year, there were breakdowns because they were forced to carry just too much of it because the offense just wasn't getting anywhere. The offense is good enough this year. And so I think that's going to free up the defense. And again, I, I want to see them consistently beat good teams. And then that's going to be another kind of, you know, step in the evolutionary process of getting them to where they want to be. So is that Uche and Judon and Dietrich Wise and, you know, guys like that putting pressure on the quarterbacks? Is that a yeah, bar more too? Yeah. Bar more too. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, I think this, I think this front has a chance to be very special. Um, I think that I think that you would know better than I would, Bob. The franchise record for sacks in a season is sixty-six, something like that. Yeah, that that feels it feels like it's in the mid-sixties, and, and they were in the high fifties or mid-fifties last year. I think one of the keys is if you get Judon plugged in all year. You know, we've seen some great starts from him, but he's fallen off for whatever reason in November and December. If you can get him plugged in over the course of a 17-game season, I think you're going to see great things from this defense and great things from this pass rush. And I think the team defense concept is really important when you're talking about this group because I think the front seven can paper over some of the deficiencies that they have at quarterback. Again, we talked about how the safeties could do that as well, but I think the front seven as a group where that pass rush has the capability to kind of forget, make people forget that a lot of their quarterbacks are younger quarterbacks. So you get Judon, Uche, Barmore, you know, honestly, Uche is, there's every reason for him to be, you know, and have an incentive for a great year because he's another guy who's in the contract year. So you, know, you get those guys working together. That's the first step in the process, though, I think. So is Malik mania over? <laughs> I joked <laughs> with someone the other day that I've gone, I've gone three days without mentioning Malik Cunningham or writing about him. So I'm going to be drummed out of the Patriots media cartel as a result. Um, I, I just, He's the perfect 53rd man for your roster. Right. He is. And I got a hot take for you here. All right. That's what we wanted the other day about Malik Cunningham. They're going to go, he's going to go full Edelman this year. He's going to play at least one snap on the defensive side of the ball, too. He's going to play special teams. He's going to play offense. He's going to play at least one snap at like quarterback or safety or whatever the case may be in a pinch. So you're going to see him play all three phases at some point this season. So as far as the quarterback part of it, though, I guess so it's been reported that he hasn't really taken any snaps and any practices at quarterback in the last couple. Yeah. He didn't he didn't look that comfortable as a receiver on Saturday night. So do you think it's something where they do you think do you think he'll make the 53 man roster? Because I, I don't think they would. Cha- I, I don't think they would chance putting him on the practice squad because I no, think somebody no, would pick no. him up. No, yeah, he's not getting through. He's not getting through. They're going to put him on the 53 man roster. Okay. And he is going to I think that they're gonna have a I, I think a guy like this is a is a dream for Bill O'Brien to be able to put in a package of 10 plays, use him in a situation like they use a little bit like they used Marcus Jones last year. Yeah. As a change-up guy, he's not gonna set the world on fire. You know, you're not talking about the offensive rookie of the year, but I think if you could throw teams a curveball now and again by having him out there, maybe on a two-point conversion situation. I, I think I think they're going to use him. I, I think I think he's going to be a back of the roster guy when you're talking about wide receivers, and I think he's going to be your third quarterback. And I think the fact he can play special teams is a huge asset to him. Work as a gunner, you know, work as a returner. 
whatever the case may be. So I, yeah, I think he's a 53rd guy for your roster. Yeah. Well, if he plays special teams, you know, that that's a, that's a Belichick plus. So, Oh, right. (laughs) Well, there's literally, I had this conversation with another reporter the other day. There's probably four to five guys on this roster right now who would be locks to make the roster if they could play special teams. Right. You know, if you look at a guy like Trey Nixon, who's just absolutely just set, and I know he was waived released or waived injured today, but I'm just going to use him him as an example. Like if he had been consistent special teams player, there'd be no question he could play in 53. Yeah. You know, if JJ Taylor could work, if he had another gear and could work as a returner, he would make special. You know, they're just they're guys on that roster who who know what it takes to you know to to, yeah. to kind of inch their way in, and he's one of them. Yeah, we've had a bunch of players that, you know, specialize in special teams. I mean, in the beginning, I mean, Matthew Slater was a wide receiver and caught a, a couple passes, but, you know, and then he's been used to, you know, when they kneel down playing on offense, you know, the last play, I don't even know what position that is. <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah, I agree. I agree. Look, it, it, it's going to be the path forward for, I don't know, Butte. He was at returning kicks today. If you think he could work as a backup kick returner, or a gunner or something that's, you know, he might be the 52nd guy on the roster. You know, it's just, it's an easy way to stick around early in your career in New England. Being able to display special teams value really helps. I mean, but the kickoffs and the punts are different this year though. So I mean, that's, yeah. Yeah. Expand a little bit more about that for the people that don't know what's going on. there. Yeah. And I'm going to be fascinated, Bob. I'm glad you're reading this. I'm going to be fascinated to see how the rule changes impact because the Patriots haven't done a whole lot different when it comes to practicing special team stuff. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm curious if they're gonna if there's you know gonna be kicking away into the end zone or if they're gonna try and kick it down to the inside the five or right. It, it's just gonna be really interesting to see the impact of some of this stuff. That being said, I think the Patriots special teams this year are going to be more impactful than they were last year, just because. First of all, you have a dedicated special teams guy in Joe Judge really, you know, working. And, and that's all we could kind of look past the fact that <laughs> yeah. all you need to do is sit there for a couple of practices. Cam McCord, I, I'm going to tell you, Cam McCord, or, or Cord is not the special teams coordinator on this team. He, right. he's, it's Joe Judge. Joe Judge is running the special teams practices. Yeah. Um, that's important for people to know. Yes. And, and so you have him there, and he knows how to do it. He may not know how to be a head coach. He may know how to be an offensive play caller. He's great at special teams. Yep. And so look, special teams are going to be better this year. And so you start from there. They lost a couple of games because of special teams last year. That's you know, it, it just really uncharacteristic sloppiness from the special teams units the last couple of years has cost them a couple of games. Right. I don't think we're going to see that moving forward. Excellent. So um, as far as preseason, we'll start, we'll start to wrap it up a little bit. But as far as preseason, top three studs, top Top three studs, top three duds. Well, when you say studs, you mean guys who outperformed expectations or just great performances across the board. It, it, well, however you want to, however you want to put it. Okay, um, I'll say Kendrick Bourne. Um, I'll also toss in, and this is a guy who outperformed any sort of expectations, but continues to just dump. Is Keon White? Keon White is right. just, just he's a beast. Is an absolute beast. I don't know. If he's going to be, you know, a double-digit sack guy this year, or if he's still learning, or whatever the case may be, but I think he's rendered Trey Flowers, you know, uh, a non-factor. Even if he does come off the PUP, I just, 
I, I just love the way he plays. Um, and then, well, that's a good one because there are a lot of good candidates here. You know, I'll go. I'll go Matthew Judon. Nice. Well, I'll go Matthew Judon as my third, just because he's just plugged in on every single on, on, when he's out there. And you know, there was the talk of the opt-in earlier this year. It wasn't you didn't you know, work out great for him. Um, but ever since then, he's been dominating. He really has. He's he's been dominating it again. I think he's I think he's poised for a really good year this year. I think I think he is. I think you know, if you could get him plugged in, like I said, for a full season, he's gonna be lights out. Okay. Okay, so three duds. Um, I'm gonna go with Connor McDermott, who started as a as like a starting right tackle on this team at the, at the beginning of camp and hasn't been seen, you know, after the first couple days. Uh oh. I, I want to take one of the young running backs, but I feel like that's not fair. Pierre Strong and Kevin Harris, I, I don't feel like they're quite there. I think they had their opportunity, but I, I don't think they really took advantage of it. So I'm going to kind of, I'll put them in that mix. Um, boy. You know, it's tough. It's it's tough, tough, tough. I, I think that, <laughs> I don't want to beat up on Trace McSorley, but Trace McSorley really hasn't yeah. done a lot with his reps. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I think that, and I think he was surpassed. You know, I think part of it is he was kind of surpassed by Malik Cunningham in, in that story, the story that everybody loves. Well, it's funny because the first couple of practices, that's everybody was talking about him. The first yeah. couple of practices yeah. this year, and then I'll go with a guy who I think was cut was Demarcus, Demarcus Mitchell. I think right. Yeah, yeah. I I think that he had he had Sam, and Sam Roberts kind of struggled a little bit on Saturday as well. I think some of those young – I'll put them under the class of the younger interior linemen. You know, okay. Demarcus Mitchell, Sam Roberts. I think Barmore's been good, but I think some of those other guys too, I think they've struggled a little bit this summer. And I think it's I think it's going to – it's already showed up in Demarcus's case, but I think it's going to show up in the, the cut-down day decisions. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, – for people that really don't know, how, how does the practice squad work? Um, you know, you you make the team, but then you don't make the team. And and then there are some guys that pop every once in a while. Jonas Gray pops from the practice squad. You know, is there guys that might make the practice squad that might make and make a play or two during the year? Yeah. And, and I don't know all the particulars, but I'll, I'll kind of broad brush it for you. The, the idea is that you cut a handful of guys that you want to try and bring it back. After all the cuts, everyone's free, but you want to bring these guys back for your practice squad to be able to supplement the 53-man roster. Now, they've changed the rules a lot over the last few years, but it's basically when you cut a guy, anyone else can pick him up. But the, what, the, what, you know, what the, the idea is, you cut him, you bring him back to your 50, you bring him back to your practice squad. And I think we're going to see some surprises with the practice squad this year. I wouldn't be surprised if they had a kicker and a punter on the practice squad at, at the very least. But you also want to be able to create a feeder system. As needed. Um, and you mentioned, you know, you mentioned Jonas Gray. Jonas Gray is a great example of a guy who came up and made the most of a situation, you know, in a very brief window, being the most of a situation. You can treat it like your triple A team. Right. You know, I, I think that at the start of the summer, I said, look, you know, you're going to keep Malik Cunningham around just because you can put him on your practice squad and you can simulate going against, you know, starting, uh, you know, dual threat quarterbacks. Right. So, and, and that's one of the ideas of having 
a punt that like Corliss Waitman, I think is going to be on your practice squad because Corliss Waitman is a left-footed punter who can give you a good look when you're facing a left-footed punter that week. Um, you want to be able to have guys who have some traits who you can put on the scout team who can prepare your starters for, you know, during, during the regular season. So I think there's real value to the, the practice squad. The guy who I always go back to that they wanted to, they tried to sneak it through the practice squad. They never, they never did was Kabu Grushi Hill, the linebacker. I think it was out of BYU about a decade or so ago. Um, they tried to sneak him through. They couldn't do it. And he ended up having a really nice NFL career. Uh, he's a little bit like Marte Bapu physically, but yeah, it, it's a, it's a chance for teams to kind of develop some guys, not in secret, but kind of develop some guys and as a way to augment your 53-man roster. Okay. Cool. Thanks. But then they kind of changed it a little bit with the quarterback too, didn't they? Didn't yeah. They yeah. With, with, with the emergency quarterback and there, there's all sorts of new wrinkles this year when it comes to the last couple of years, when it comes to the practice squad, you, you can designate your third quarterback and, there's some talk that, well, you know, you should do that for Malik Cunningham just in case. And there, there are all sorts of ways to kind of finesse it, uh, you know, this year. I'm sure Bill is researching down to the, you know, <laughs> all the T's and all the, all the T's across and all the I's are dotted to make sure to see if he can kind of, you know, protect a guy this way, protect a guy this way. It's going to be interesting to see how they use it this year. All right. So we'll close this out with a couple of things. So. First one is is who's going to be, and I know Bob, you, you had you were, we were talking about this before, but who's going to be this year's um, undrafted free agent that makes the team? That's that that's the first one. It's going to be. I, I think that Isaiah Bolden had a chance to be that guy. I think Malik Cunningham is the guy now. Okay. I, I think without a doubt, I think Malik Cunningham is the guy. So now we're going to put you on the hot seat, and hopefully we'll have you back on in, in, in midway through the year and at the end of the year. So it's it's uh, prediction time. All right. What do you got? What, what 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 kind of predictions you got for me? I already gave you one. The Malik Cunningham. No, 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 no. The re- re- record wise, what, what, what what's your uh, wins, what's your prediction? Wins. I think if everything breaks perfectly <laughs> for this team, <laughs> yeah, perfectly, the ceiling for this team is eleven and six. Wow. I think okay. if everything, if Mac, if everyone stays healthy across the board, I think if one of the if a couple of the young guys pop, I think if Keon White becomes the guy that we think he could be, I think if Pop Douglas evolves into an every down, you know, I think if Ramondre and Zeke and it all kind of comes together, I think this team wins 11 games. I think the floor for this team is seven and 10. Wow. Okay. I think if, if everything just goes South, they finish seven and 10, they finish out of the postseason. It may be in the last, in last place in the AFC. So look, I'll, 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 I'll I'll land somewhere between there, between 11 (laughs) wins and seven wins. And then we can come back and revisit halfway through the year. All right, cool. That's Sounds a like deal. a plan. Well, you know what, uh, Chris, it was, um, you know, I got a chance to meet you, you know, Bob, Bob this year at training camp, and it was uh, it was great talking to you all at training camp, and I just, I've been looking forward to doing this podcast because I really enjoyed talking to you, and you you uh, you hit a home run tonight, so I want to thank you for your time. It, seems, it looks, sounds like you're fighting a cold a little bit, so I appreciate you. Uh, appreciate you coming on, but uh, it was a great podcast. Uh a lot of great information, and like I said, we'd love to have you back on at the halfway point. We'll talk about how things are going, how your prediction's looking, and uh, why don't you just take a couple of minutes and um, self-promote. Where can everybody find you, your books, whatever you want? This is uh, The floor is yours. Sounds good. Uh, first of all, you can follow me on Twitter at C Price Globe. That's C Price Globe. Uh, I have six books out. Uh, you can find uh, Baseball by the Beach, The Blueprint, The Complete Illustrated History of the New England Patriots, uh, drive for five, the 
I forget the name of the football trivia book. Damn it. <laughs> it's a football trivia book. And then okay. uh, Leading Green, History of the Hartford Whalers. That's out too. So six books. They're all on Amazon. Great bookstores everywhere. You can check them out. You can also read my stuff every day at the, in the Boston Globe or at bostonglobe.com. Wow, so you're a retro guy because I remember I remember seeing you with the Expos hat, and then you mentioned the wheels. So you're like a oh yeah, true oh, retro yeah, guy. Right? As a Pretty kid who grew up in Connecticut, you know I gotta do my part to keep the Whalers alive. Do you listen to Brass Bonanza yeah, every once in a while? Yeah, Brass exactly. Bonanza every once in a while in the car. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> right. I, I used to have it as the screens. I used to have it as the wallpaper on my phone. Yeah, the logo. All right, Chris. Well, again, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it, and uh, look forward to talking to you again. My pleasure, guys. Take care. Hopefully, we'll talk again soon. All right. Thanks, Thanks Chris. Thanks, my friend. Have a great Thanks for listening to Untold Patriot Stories with Scott Prusak and Dave Usher. Please follow us on whatever platform you download your podcasts, and be sure to tell your friends.